Today is March 25th. I'm Serena, and welcome to the Seven Streams Bible Reading Method. Today we are in the church stream in the book of Acts. We'll be reading through Acts 25, 1 to 27, 26. And it's my mom's birthday. So happy birthday, mom. Hope you're having a great day today. We're reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible this week. And this is our final day in this translation because we're in our seventh stream. So, Acts 25, 1. Three days after Festus arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. Then the chief priests and the leaders of the Jews presented their case against Paul to him, and they appealed, asking him to do them a favor against Paul, that he might summon him to Jerusalem. They were preparing an ambush along the road to kill him. However, Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was about to go there shortly. Therefore, he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me and accuse him if there is anything wrong in this man. When he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. The next day, seated at the judge's bench, he commanded Paul to be brought in. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and brought many serious charges that they were not able to prove, while Paul made the defense that, neither against the Jewish law, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I sinned at all. Then Festus, wanting to do a favor for the Jews, replied to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem, there to be tried before me on these charges? But Paul said, I am standing at Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as even you can see very well. If then I am doing wrong, or have done anything deserving of death, I do not refuse to die, but if there is nothing to what these men accuse me of, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus conferred with his counsel, he replied, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. After some days had passed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived in Caesarea and paid a courtesy call on Festus. Since they stayed there many days, Festus presented Paul's case to the king, saying, There's a man who was left as a prisoner by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews presented their case and asked for a judgment against him. I answered them, that it's not the Romans' custom to give any man up before the accused confronts the accusers face to face and has an opportunity to give a defense concerning the charges. Therefore, when they had assembled here, I did not delay. The next day I sat at the judge's bench and ordered the man to be brought in. Concerning him, the accusers stood up and brought no charge of the sort I was expecting. Instead, they had some disagreements with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, a dead man Paul claimed to be alive. Since I was at a loss in a dispute over such things, I asked him if he wished to go to Jerusalem and be tried there concerning these matters. 
But when Paul appealed to be held for trial by the emperor, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow you will hear him, he replied. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the auditorium with the commanders and prominent men of the city. When Festus gave the command, Paul was brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all men present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish community has appealed to me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he should not live any longer. Now I realize that he had not done anything deserving of death, but when he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. I have nothing definite to write to my lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after this examination is over, I may have something to write. For it seems unreasonable to me to send a prisoner and not to indicate the charges against him. Agrippa said to Paul, It is permitted for you to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that today I am going to make a defense before you about everything I am accused of by the Jews, especially since you are an expert in all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem. They had previously known me for quite some time, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. The promise our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve him night and day. King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why is it considered incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself supposed it necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus the Nazarene. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison, since I had received authority for that from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. In all the synagogues, I often tried to make them blaspheme by punishing them. I even pursued them to foreign cities since I was greatly enraged at them. I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and a commission from the chief priests. King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. 
but get up and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and of what I will reveal to you. I will rescue you from the people and from the Gentiles. I now send you to them to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that by faith in me they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first, and to those in Jerusalem, and in all the region of Judea, and to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, and do works worthy of repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple complex and were trying to kill me. To this very day I have obtained help that comes from God, and I stand and testify to both small and great, saying nothing else than what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah must suffer, and that as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. As he was making his defense this way, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I speak words of truth and good judgment. For the king knows about these matters. It is to him I am actually speaking boldly. For I am convinced that none of these things escape his notice, since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only will you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. So the king, the governor, Bernice, and those sitting with them got up, and when they had left, they talked with each other and said, This man is doing nothing that deserves death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. When it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. So when we had boarded a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. When we had put out to sea from there, we sailed along the northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. After sailing through the open sea off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. 
Sailing slowly for many days, we came with difficulty as far as Snedis. Since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along the south side of Crete, af Salmone. With yet more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the city of Lasia. By now, much time had passed, and the voyage was already dangerous. Since the fast was already over, Paul gave his advice and told them, Men, I can see that this voyage is headed toward damage and heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship, rather than to what Paul had said. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete, open to the southwest and northwest, and to winter there. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But not long afterward, a fierce wind called the Nor'easter rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and was unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Kauda, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship. Then, fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the drift anchor and in this way they were driven along. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's gear overboard with their own hands. For many days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope that we would be saved was disappearing. Since many were going without food, Paul stood up among them and said, You men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now, I urge you to take courage, because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. For this night an angel of God I belong to and serve stood before me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And look, God has graciously given all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, take courage, men, because I believe God that it will be just the way it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Dear Lord, we know that it is never boring when we follow you wholeheartedly. We can hardly imagine the, the tension and the excitement and the concern that surrounded Paul in this journey to Rome. And he's not even there yet and the, things are going wrong. But you had him in hit your hand and you preserved him because there was a purpose in his life. Thank you for preserving us to do our purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. At the beginning of today's reading, Paul is still in Caesarea and getting caught up by default from all the political wrangling that the Roman leaders and the Herods and their friends and their enemies are immersed in. The Sanhedrin from Jerusalem 
are the leaders who want Paul disposed of and buried in actuality. The pagans were more amused, of sorts, by Paul than anything. So Paul, as of our reading today, is in the latter part of his time in Caesarea, a town built and named to solely impress Caesar. Paul is here from Acts 23:31 to Acts 26:32. The years were summer of 58 AD to the autumn of 60 AD. It's a roughly 28-month period. Caesarea was actually a fairly pleasant town to be in, even if you were in jail. It was by the ocean, there was a nice breeze. Hey, life wasn't too bad for Paul during that time. Drake and I had an opportunity to go to Caesarea. It's not built up now, it's a ruin, but uh, it really was quite pleasant there, and I could see where it would be a nice place to hang out in the first century. The first Gentile, Cornelius, was received into the church here some 20 years prior. But the town had not heard such oratory as when Paul is called into the amphitheater to give his monologue that still leaves mouths hanging open 19 plus centuries later. For what it's worth, Paul is in his late 50s by now. And by the time he leaves Caesarea, he has about seven years to live. We also had an opportunity to go to this amphitheater, and I will put a photo of us there in the show notes. Moving on to chapters 25 and 26, as for the mechanics of today's reading, Festus steps directly into the Paul factor right from his start in Caesarea after he replaces Felix at his post. The Sanhedrin and crew in Jerusalem were trying to get Festus to surrender Paul to them, so they could secretly kill him, but Paul appeals to present his case to Caesar. His Roman citizenship spares him, and this isn't the first time. When Agrippa arrives, the drama thickens. This is the man to whom Paul gives one of the most famous sermons ever written. Agrippa and Bernice were the opposite of, let's just say they were opposite of Sunday school teachers, Agrippa is the son of Agrippa I, who killed James, Jesus' brother, in Jerusalem 16 years prior. His grandfather, Herod Antipas, killed John the Baptist. His great-grandfather, Herod the Great, who was the great builder, not a great guy in character, is the one who tried to kill Jesus in Bethlehem. What a long line of murderers. So Paul is going to present his case to the one who is in a great ancestral line of those who killed Jesus and his friends. How is this going to go? And Bernice is not exactly a woman of virtue. She was a mistress and concubine and wife to more different kings and emperors than can be mentioned here. She was a busy girl. (laughs) She and Agrippa II are living crazed lives, and they have extremely shady ethics. Nonetheless, the gospel is for them, too, and they hear Paul out. It goes along clearly and powerfully until Paul asserts the resurrection of the dead concept. Agrippa just can't take that. He passes Paul onto the next phase, and his fourth missionary journey officially goes into the mobile phase. Of course, Paul probably wasn't thinking, here goes my missionary journey. He was just appealing to Caesar. In chapter 27, Paul's journey is another wild one here as he commences on this trek to Rome. 
He gets on a ship that has quite the prison population aboard, and off they go. His prison ministry intensifies, shall we say. As the cities are listed, you can follow along in the map in the back of your Bible that's labeled Paul's fourth missionary journey. There is a storm coming, and Paul warns them of the perils. By the way, it's never safe to ignore or dismiss the word of a prophet. But pressing on, they hope to make their deliveries and get their profit, P-R-O-F-I-T. Interesting that ignoring Paul has them losing that profit. Well, pardon the play on words. An angel appears to Paul amid this time and assures him that this assignment he is on and his destiny is not altered by this storm. We would do well to remember that this same God watches over us. He has not changed. And now we've come to the point in our week where we talk about the thread through the streams. The motif this week is that there is some resolution, at least for now. Resolution. Joseph and his brothers and father finally unite and dine and embrace openly and wonderfully as the Hebrews have some peace for now. Some resolution. But Jacob will have a word for them next week. Samuel is concluding a sterling life. It is time to give the Israelites the king that they crave. They get it, so they're happy, right? Some resolution, maybe? Well, for now, yes, maybe. But it doesn't take Saul long to go awry, as prophesied. We reach the Psalms, and there is now a chance for peace for all of us as the world has a devotional book, a book for all seasons, all hearts, and all ages. As Isaiah prophesies, Israel has but one Savior. His mercy is faithful forever. Yet Israel is unfaithful, a prophecy that has always been looming. Though this doesn't change God's goodness and his desire to return his children to their homeland. What a wonderful resolution the Lord has regarding us. Daniel and his countrymen have nearly finished their captivity years, but the word that is coming is a testament to upheaval on the horizon. Sad, but it's what their descendants will endure. As we reached the Christ stream, Jesus has come back to where he gave what could be called his first sermons when he was 12 years old. It's been over 20 years and these words would not be so well received as they are resolved to kill him this time. As prophesied, resolution is coming in the Christ stream. Paul in Acts is about to give his final message in Israel. It all goes well, and he is then allowed to escape those who hate him in Jerusalem. He is resolved to go to Caesar. He's shipped off to Rome. His prophetic word on the ship is fascinating, and they didn't listen and suffered for it. Lord God of heaven, take us into your rest and speak to us, we pray. Bring us back, should we stray. Amen. SevenStreamsMethod.com is the home port for this podcast. We have quite a few resources at the website. Among them are bookmarks, books, and a planner. In fact, we have a 2019 planner calendar that is available at the website, and we only are producing a limited quantity of these, and these are super helpful for keeping track of your time in addition to 
keeping track of your Bible reading progress. So those are over at the website, sevenstreamsmethod.com. One of the books that is there is Love Poured Out for Vietnam, and it's the story of Drake's grandparents, Chester and Mary Travis. And they were going on ships all the time to and from Vietnam. Back then it was called French Indochina. And so they had their own missionary journey in the 1900s. Now, they didn't get into any shipwrecks. However, they did get into a plane wreck, which they survived. Not many people can say that. But Chester and Mary always believed that they would not die until their work on earth was done, which is what happened. (laughs) So we can always trust God to hold us in the palm of his hand, no matter what. Tomorrow, we portage back to the world stream, back to the book of Genesis. Know that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Until tomorrow, I'm Serena, sailing with you down the seven streams.